want to welcome you here this morning. Glad you're all with us. Jesus loves the little children. That little song was written by a preacher, Clarence Woolston. In 18, he lived in 1856, being born then, dying in 1927. Don't know, I didn't find the exact year that he wrote it. But of course it's inspired by Matthew chapter 19, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We see little children and we know that they are precious, no matter what tone of the color of their skin, no matter where they are from no matter where they are at their station in life. When you think about the differences in people in society, we have many areas of difference, and the list probably of that could just be unending almost, differences as we would break it down into subcategories. Uh, we have differences of social class that we run in, economic class, Some people make a a great deal of money. Some people don't make quite as much money. Educational level, there are people that haven't graduated from high school. doesn't mean that they're not intelligent people. just means that they chose not to graduate from high school, perhaps. Maybe they were too intelligent and it was just boring to them. Maybe they made a bad decision in that, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Others have PhDs and advanced PhDs. When I was working in, when I was in junior college, one of the chief individuals where I worked, a part-time job, he had at least three PhDs. He was not a dumb man by any standard of the words. Uh, I didn't know him personally. I would recognize him when he came into the plant. But uh, to me, the three PhDs is pretty intelligent. Looks like I've got a helper coming up. Thank you very much. You're just going to come up here and sit by me and color? That'll be okay. <laughs> we'll embarrass his mother. No, we won't. She's already embarrassed. We don't have to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate that help. I'll probably need that for an illustration. Where was I? Uh... Racial barriers, language. Then we have differences in personality. And depending on what psychologists that you look at in studies of personality, they can be multiple types of personalities. Uh, and I'm not talking about those with a multiple personality disorder, which is a cat class by itself. Uh, there's different strengths that people have, different backgrounds and experiences. Some people are going through times of trouble and distress, so they have different burdens that we... Some people don't share in differences in blessings that we face. But nonetheless, we can say that, all that to say this, is that there are differences in people. And if you look at the 12 that Jesus called out to be his disciples, that he would send out as apostles, they had differences. And some of these same things that I've met, but also in their career paths, we had fishermen, we had a tax collector, we had a couple of zealots in the mix, Uh, Bartholomew, his name is indicative of nobility, which tells me that maybe uh, some type of leadership for wealth in the family, and he don't know what he did necessarily, but if he was of noble birth, that maybe things just came a little bit easier for him. He didn't have to work a common, ordinary job like a fisherman or a herdsman. Uh, Paul, an, an apostle untimely born, he was definitely an educated scholar. 
uh, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, if you will. In Acts chapter 6, we know about the Jewish people on Pentecost as they obeyed the gospel. But as those Hellenized Jews, those from the Greek area, uh, that adopted some of those things, we know that they were being neglected, conflict in the early church. And then when Cornelius, when Peter went to him, Gentiles are now brought into the fold. So there's, I say all that to say this, is that there were a lot of differences of people in the church in its beginning. And of course that brings about problems in the church that there are differences in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there is the issue of eating meat, sacrificed to idols. In Romans, in chapter 14 and 15, Paul is dealing just briefly in those two chapters about those who would eat meat and those who would not eat meat. Then there were those who would worship and hold all days as being equal with one another. And there were some that would want to hold and esteem a day above the other. Paul was saying, it's okay, just don't judge another man's servant. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 11 through 16, Therefore remember that you, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in in the world. That was their life before Christ. That was their life before Christ died on the cross. Before, far before Cornelius brought announced to and Peter when that got announced that Gentiles were acceptable. But now in Christ, he goes on in verse 13, but now in Christ you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. So he's saying... Jew and Gentile, circumcision and uncircumcision, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His death on the cross brought the Gentiles into the fold, breaking down the barrier, bringing about peace, making the two into one new man, bringing them both into one body to God. They're now one. Many differences in backgrounds and some of these things that I've already mentioned. Many different backgrounds. But now they're one in Christ. He would say something similarly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12 and verse 27, he would say this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. Is not multiple bodies out there. There is one body of Christ. In verse 27, he would say to them, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. But then we come to the idea, how do we put all of these differences of people together in the body of Christ? How do we handle all of these? And I guess it would almost be ad infinitum. 
of differences in people. I've only touched a few of them. And we could probably touch many more. What's the key to accepting one another? To be one in Christ, we have to be accepting of one another. Again, we are studying the one another passages of the New Testament, the Greek word alelon, a reciprocal pronoun, so that we're doing it to one another. I accept you, you accept me. That's what it's talking about, that we're accepting. And in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, it says, and that's the key verse that I want to deal with this morning, Therefore... Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles to the glory of God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will give give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing sing to your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come to the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them that you are one. Gentiles have been brought together. He tells them how it's done. For the circumcision and to the Gentiles. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also has accepted us, accepted us to the glory of God. So accepting one another is that key to the unity of Christ. Acceptance is determined and is built on the basis of relationship. Many, many years ago, I had an aunt who acknowledged family members. Because we accept family members, right, because they are family members. Now her take on that was, kind of humorously, she jokingly said it, maybe somewhat seriously. She stressed that she would always stress who a family member was, stating because you pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. How many of us can relate to that? You know, I've got a brother and a couple of sisters, you know. I didn't choose them. I'm stuck with them. Now, I love my brother and I love my sisters. But there's always some oddball, you know, 15th cousin, second or twice removed or whatever, down the road. They just, you know, just they're weird. You can't get away from them. So you let somebody know, that's a cousin. You know, why? Because they're going to want to know, why would you associate with that? But you know, the sadly, you know, within the body of Christ, we may have somebody like that. And Paul tells us to accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. In the church, we are indeed a family. Because we've been born again. John chapter 3, Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and wanted to know about, how, about the kingdom. And Jesus said, unless you become born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've been born again. We've been buried with Christ, as Paul would teach in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, Jesus, into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
You know, if we've been united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Those who have done that are family. And we can't get away from it. And we don't want to get away from it because they are indeed important to us. Luke would write in the book of Acts in chapter 2 concerning after the nearly 3,000 were immersed in the preaching of Peter on Pentecost. Peter and the other apostles, by the way. And how they continued devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer, and how they had all things in common, and how everything was going great. Then it says in verse 47, And the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. The King James says that the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved. Because that's the body of Christ. Acceptance is based on relationship. And if you've been born again, as the Bible teaches, and I've been born again, we are brother and sister, brother and brother. I have to accept you. Acceptance is based on the truth then, too, as we read in 1 Corinthians, and we'll do so once again in chapter 12, that every member of the body is important. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink with one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for any reason less. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. He says, the body parts are important. If the whole body, he says, goes on, were an eye, where would the hearing be? If their whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. body has many members. God has placed us where we are for the glory, for, the, for His glory, not for ours. You know, many years ago, before I was preaching, I was working at a com- for a company called Farmarco. We had a contract with a dog food company to make dog food. I worked several, I think I worked all the jobs in that plant at one time or another. But Calcan, though I don't think they're in existence today, I think they've sold their line off or renamed it, bought somebody else. They were owned by the Mars Corporation. And Mars Corporation had an interesting employment policy. The only way you learned about it, because they were privately held by the Mars family, was that employees who left would call it the golden handcuffs. They did everything they could to keep their employees. And one of the things, and forget their wages which were hired, their bonus system which was really kind of nice if you were under it. In fact, one of them that I will tell you about was, and I think it, you know, don't go to your boss and ask for this unless you have good reason to do so. But they had a unique bonus, and that was that they would give you 10% of your monthly base wage, no overtime on this, but your normal 40-hour week, whatever you got, you know, $15 an hour times 40, you know, they would give that to you every week at the end of the month, 10% for being to work on time. Now, do you really think a company that does something like that is going to have an employment problem? One of the things that I really liked the most about it was that they had no assigned parking. How many times have you driven to a place 
a business, a nonprofit organization, a place where they have assigned parking. You know, the boss gets to park right up here next to the front door. They get the best shaded spot in the summertime. That's all we care about in Yuma. It could be, ten, you know, it could be a, a mile away almost, as long as there's shade, so that my car isn't 160 degrees inside when I open the door. I'll walk in the 115 because that's going to be cooler than the 160 if it's in the sun. But anyway, they had no assigned parking, and so what I jokingly say is that if you were the the brand new employee and you were hired just as an entry level base job whatever maybe cleaning toilets and you got to the work before the president did and you parked at the front door because you were the first one there nobody was going to say a word to you because Calcan employees Mars Corporation employees were all associates what does that tell me they're not making a distinction. They're saying, you, the new hire, are important to our organization. The president is important to the organization. And if for some reason he came in from a business trip and came into the office at noon and he had to park out, you know, half a mile away, so be it. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. We may differ in function, but everyone is important. And when we realize our importance to one another, that there are strengths that we can lean on one another, I'm not a, you know, I just happen to have a big mouth, right? I'm the speaker. I have a different function than some others. But that doesn't mean that I am more important than you. Acceptance of one another is going to promote unity. Failing, though, to accept one another will result in disunity, a lack of unity. I couldn't find it in my files. I don't know what I did with it, but many, many years ago, somebody wrote a little poem. And it was put in a magazine, and it was based upon a gospel advocate or one of the magazines that we have in the Brotherhood. And as I recall, the title of it was My Circle of Fellowship. And so parts of it were in circles, And there was a great big one, and basically what he was saying was, when I first obeyed the gospel, when I first became a Christian, I was amazed at how large the circle of love and God's fellowship was. I was a part of something tremendous. But then I realized that people had some differences of opinion, different teachings of some of the things that I held dear, and so I excluded them from my fellowship. And then pretty soon I realized some others had some differences, and I excluded them from my fellowship. And then pretty soon I realized that even my family had differences of opinion, and so I became a circle of one. That's what happens when we don't have unity, when we don't accept one another. Paul was dealing with it in Romans chapter 14, as we've already mentioned. In Romans chapter 14, he says in verse 1, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith, and he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to those to God, and he who does 
He observes the day, observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, we, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, and he that he might be both the Lord of, Lord of both of the dead and of the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You see what he's talking about? They had things going on there, and they were judging one another. They were holding one another in contempt. I'm I'm more of a Christian than you are because I live this way. Well, I'm more of a Christian than you are because I live this way. It wasn't making progress, and it was causing division within the body. He says, goes on and says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall praise, give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself before God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in, another, in, another, in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is unclean, to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Says so, so don't be judging your brother, but most of all, don't be putting a stumbling block through your, in front of your brother. Don't give them offense, as he says in verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Now, the Greek word offense that's translated is proskoma. It means an occasion of apostasy. It means when you give offense, it's just not, my sensibilities have been like, I don't know, maybe somebody doesn't like purple. Why do you even like purple? I don't People have colors. I saw somebody driving the strangest color of a yellow car, and I thought to myself, I wouldn't be caught dead in a car like that. I mean, that is the ugliest car. And I've seen some neon green things. Why would anybody want a car like that? Somebody likes them. That's why they paint them that color. That's not the kind of offense that's being discussed. That's not the kind of offense that's being discussed. If you have a cell phone, you're getting an amber, amber alert right now. It'll dismiss and go away. It was ringing in my ears. So, anyway. Uh... I'm glad we have those things. An offense. Don't cause somebody to lose their faith. We may not agree on colors. We may not agree on the type of food. There are foods that I don't like. And if I'm invited to your house, I'll take a small portion and eat it. And I'll say thank you. But don't ask me. I won't ask for seconds. Trust me. If it's something I like, you won't get me away. But anyway, that's just me. Accepting one another promotes unity. Lack of accept, failing to accept one another produces disunity. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there's a different situation. In 1 Corinthians 8, it's similar, but as I said, it is indeed different. Because what's going on here is that there is someone who is eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. And Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Now think about that. Love makes, or knowledge makes arrogant, but love is what edifies. 
If anyone supposes that he is anything and yet has not yet known, as he ought to know, but if he, anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and so that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed there are as many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God. But not all men have that idea. Not all men have that knowledge. And so you'd have some who were mature Christians. And they're saying there is no such thing as a God to this. And in the marketplace in Corinth, you couldn't buy food, meat especially, that hadn't been sacrificed to an idol. And so when you would go buy that meat, you would be inclined to prepare it. Somebody invites you in. And if you have a weaker, immature brother, he doesn't have that knowledge that you do. What do you do? It's okay, Paul says, if you eat the meat, but not if you cause your brother to stumble. Therefore, in verse 13, it says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Again, the word is different than in Romans. It's the Greek word scandalizo. It means to entice to sin. It's not that it offends me. It's not the color of it. It's whether it will cause me to lose my faith or cause my brother to lose their faith, my sister to lose her faith, and fall from Christ. And the issues of spirituality, Pharisees were good about that. They had their level of holiness, their separateness, and you couldn't do certain things, and we have our own. We have our own issues today concerning entertainment, concerning social, moral issues, political issues. Would you be surprised to find out that within Churches of Christ that there are supporters for Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton? I wouldn't be. Some of them are into that political philosophy. Do I think they're wrong? Yes. This isn't a political lecture, but I just think that they're wrong on their philosophy. Uh, Did I like Donald Trump? No. I had another person that I was supporting. But that's beside the point. We don't need to divide over such things, but we will do so if we're not careful. We can form a a spirit of partiality. Rich versus poor, educated versus uneducated, older versus younger. Not only in physical age, but in how long one has been a Christian. So we have to be cautious or we will fail to accept one another. Well, then how do we accept one another as we bring this to a close? We need to recognize Christ's acceptance of us. In Romans chapter 15, he says, Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Accept is a Greek word that means to receive kindly or with kindness. One has said it in this way. It is to receive wholeheartedly and warmly, to your, welcome to yourself, to grant admission into your heart, to look beyond anything superficial and be willing to build relationships. It means to accept and welcome someone who is different from you. Not just tolerate them, but to extend holiness and sense of grace to them. It means to fully accept them for who they are and what they are. Their background. Because Christ has done it for you and me. In Romans chapter 5, we know exactly where we were before Christ. In verses 8 through 10, 8 through 11... 
In verse 8 it says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now how does Christ accept us? He died for us while we were sinners. So that means He looked at our sin and said, I'll still go to the cross for you. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We were due death. I mean, you want to... You want to have fellowship with thugs, murderous people, criminals, sex offenders, and that sort of thing? No, we don't. But that can be their past. And they can be born again and be washed and be a new creature. They can become a child of God. And so we accept them. Jesus' nature was to love the unlovable. To distinguish who we are from what we have done. And even in our sin, we are still objects of His love. So we deal with it. A sinner, an enemy of God. No strings beforehand. That's how God accepted us. I had a friend many years ago. Tried to talk to him about obeying the gospel, about becoming a Christian. He said, no, I just can't. I'm not good enough yet to be a Christian. It can't be that way. God accepts us. So now I have to look at my own self, my own standards of judgment. Am I looking at appearances, surface things? Am I looking at sin? I'm a sinner. doesn't mean I'm going to sanction sin and approve of sin. And we'll deal with that in another lesson. Because we talk, the Bible talks about admonishing one another. In fact, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Well, last I checked, reprove and rebuke is dealing with the negative aspects of life. We have to do that. But I'm basing my judgment on opinions. I can't do that at all. One level of acceptance is going to be along this line. There's a man, a professor of homiletics from Emory University. He had a speaking engagement in Canada. He goes there and he wakes up and there's, well, it snowed. snowed quite heavily. So he calls up and asks, they've canceled services. What do I do? He said, well, there's a place about a half a block from where you're staying. You can probably find something to eat there. So he walks in there. He says the place was packed. The people moved over and made room for him. He orders a bowl of soup. A few minutes later, a woman comes in. She was rather unkempt. Someone made room for her and she sat down. The man with the greasy apron came up and said, what do you have? She said, a glass of water. He said, now, what do you want? After he brings the water, he said, well, that's all I want. He says, look, lady, they're paying customers in here. Either you are going to order something or you're just going to get out. She says, can't I just stay in out of the cold? No, you have to order something or leave. So she slowly scooted out of her seat and started to leave. But when she did so, the person on her right and left also got up to leave. Then the person on each side of them got up to leave. And pretty soon everyone started to leave. And then pretty soon he comes back and is appraising the situation and says, All right, lady, come on back. You can stay. So everyone took their seats back and the man even brought her a free bowl of soup. That's welcoming the lady. Because if they didn't, if he wouldn't welcome her... They weren't welcome at his place either, the people fell. 
That's the way it should be with us in the body of Christ. And we're going to get there by spending time with one another. As we become the church of Christ's intent, the world will notice, the world will want to have what we have. Jesus said, by this command, by this, your love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. That we will be a part of such a fellowship of love, truth, and acceptance. Dr. Larry Crabb says, what every, what every Christian can pour into another is the powerful passion of acceptance. A passion that flows out of the center of the gospel. A passion that, pull, that fills the heart of God. Charles Swindoll, many years ago, wrote a book, and part of in that book he talked and introduced this chapter, and he called it Barroom Fellowship. Bars are typically dark, but you go into a bar and they don't care. You may argue about politics, you may argue about sports, you may argue about this and that, and they're not real arguments, but you go in there and how was it the cheer song where everybody knows your name, the cheers, you know, promos jingle that was with the cheer show years ago, where everybody knows your name. What does that say? You're accepted. They don't care what you bring with them. They just know that you're there and there are things they like about you and there may be things they don't like and they disagree with you on. But you're there. They know your name. So that's the fellowship that God would have us to have in His body, in His church, that He wants us to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. The question is, have you handled differences in the church in your life? Have you felt it? How have you given it? What will you do now? Because see, that's the, the end result. What are we going to do? Are we going to change if we need to change? Or are we going to do the same? Are we going to accept the woman that walks in out of the cold? And when she's turned away, are we going to leave with her? Or are we going to be the one that accepts her right at the beginning? See, that's the challenge of being a Christian is to show that acceptance to one another so that the world will believe that we truly are the church of Christ's intent. This lesson hasn't been one to tell you the specifics about obeying the gospel of Christ. You may have heard me refer to some things about that man must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That one must die with Christ and be buried with Him and to be raised with Him to walk in newness of life. And if you're struggling... And you need to know more about Christ. You want to have a relationship with Him and with His church, His family, a place of acceptance. The invitation to come to Jesus is now yours. Won't you please come to Him while together we stand in prayer?